God today. And thank you, young people. You did great. God's doing many, many things back there in the youth group. Pastor Jason doing a great job. And his little blonde wife here is doing okay too. Heidi. Anna, Mike, raise your hand over there. Mike and the young adult ministry is growing. So all of you young adults, 18 to 25 years old, they meet on Thursday nights at seven o'clock. All right, so if you wanna be a part, 18 to 25 years old, we're looking for you. Now, we've been talking about wisdom the last four weeks. And how many of you could stand a little more wisdom? I thought I was done with the wisdom series last week, but the Lord said, you're not done. I want you to talk about something very important to everyone in that sanctuary, and that is contentment. Contentment. So let's look at what Paul said about contentment. Paul, I call him the captain of attitude, the captain of good attitude. He's got the overcoming attitude that everybody should want. He says, keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. How many want your life scrutinized that way? Everything you saw me, you heard me say and saw me do. He said, if you'll do that, look what he promises. The God of peace will be with you. Now I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you've always been concerned for me. But then he makes this incredible statement. But you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. Now catch that. How could anybody say I wasn't ever in need? Powerful. Now he's about to open up with some powerful words. Watch. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I've learned it. It wasn't dropped on me out of heaven. I learned how. Gifts are sown. Fruit is grown. Contentment is a fruit. Now watch what he says. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret, the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, so Paul's saying, I got a secret. I have a secret. And this secret has helped me to live with a full stomach or an empty one, with a lot or with a little, and be okay with that. It's called contentment. Now look what he goes on to say. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now what is the context? The context is Christ strengthens us to be content in anything life throws our way. So we're going to look at his secret recipe today on contentment. And it's so important we get this. Father, thank you for the power of a content life, the wisdom of a content life. And we pray that you will talk to us about it today, minister it to us, let it go from our head to our heart. And thank you, Lord, for helping us to learn what he did, to apply what he did so that we can be content people. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your neighbor as you're being seated and say, be content through Jesus. Now, we've been talking about wisdom the last four weeks, as I already said. And by the way, 
um, the CDs that have just sold out this series on wisdom. And one of the ones that sold the most was when we talked about wisdom with relationships. And, you know, I wrote a book on that, Friendships, Avoiding the Ones That Hurt, Finding the Ones That Heal. The only reason I'm showing this to you is it occurred to me, I should have mentioned this weeks ago, because what I'm going to share with you today and what I have shared in the last few weeks is greatly expanded upon in this book. And in stores it goes for $14. I'm just going to put them at $10 a piece, and if you get two of them, two for 15 Here's why. You've got teenagers going off to college. They need wisdom with relationships. Some of you are in a situation where you really need some discernment with relationships. And I deal with things in this book like friendships that corrupt, uh, what a godly friend looks like, chapter 4, the great pretenders, chapter 5, morning mirrors tell no lies. How many of you have grown to greatly dislike that morning mirror? You're okay till you look in the mirror before you've done anything else. Oh, oh. Aging happens. Here's one on why leavers leave. And angels in disguise. And then chapter 9, brainwashed. I, I deal with relationships, and in the first service, almost every book sold out. There's only 16 left, and I'm just telling you, and, and I'm cutting them way down so that uh, you can have it. It'd be a great gift for uh, one of your teens or a great gift for yourself or somebody you know struggling in relationships. Now, let me talk to you about contentment today. How important is it? We're going to see that contentment is a great protection against the enemy's temptations. Did you know that? That when you're discontent, you're way more open to being tempted to something you shouldn't go towards? Contentment precedes happiness. I'm assuming everybody in here would love to be happy. Did you know that you'll never be happy apart from being content? Content means you've got content in your spirit. And I'm giving you some content today from the Word of God. But you'll never, never be happy without contentment, and you will always be unhappy if you're discontent. As a matter of fact, discontent split the word, dis, we, we imagine pushing something away or rejecting something, content. So discontent is when you have dissed or rejected the choice to be content. Discontent opens the door to unnecessary temptations, guarantees an unhappy life. Matthew Henry, one of my favorite commentators, reading him all the time, he wrote this about discontent. He said, discontent is a sin that is its own punishment and makes men torment themselves. It makes the spirit sad the body sick, and all the enjoyments of life sour. It is the heaviness of the heart, and it's the rottenness of the bones. When you are discontent, if you ever notice the contented person can be satisfied with a shack, but a discontented person is miserable in a palace. If you're discontent, the house can't be big enough, the car can't be nice enough, the money can't be abundant enough, if you are discontent, because no matter what comes your way, none of it makes you happy. Because you haven't learned the secret recipe of contentment. Now, 
What is contentment made up of? What is the anatomy of contentment? I like this. It's easy to remember. Contentment is being grateful for what we have. Being faithful with what we have. And being fruitful out of what we have. Be it little or much. Grateful for what you have. Faithful with what you have. Fruitful out of what you have. Whether it's a lot or a little. Contentment takes the cup of providence. And when I say providence, I mean what God has put in your life as of today. What has God's providence given you as of today? Because today is all we've got. Tomorrow's gone. Tomorrow's, or tomorrow isn't in here yet. Yesterday's gone. So we have today. We have now. Providence has given us what we have today, right now. And so contentment takes the cup of providence and makes the most of it. Makes the most of what you have now. To make the most of what is in the cup is the act and the art of contentment. You know, we know the people, the old analogy, the cup is half full or half empty. The contented person is always saying, look at that half full. Look at what I've got half full. Look at what God has given me. The discontent person is always focused on half empty. That's all they can think about, the half empty. And to not drink because there's only half a cup or because we don't like the flavor or because somebody else has silver and we only have glass is to lose the half that is there. And that's the penalty that discontent brings. Because you see, we go, I'm so focused on what I don't have that I fail to focus on what I do have. And when I focus only on what I don't have and complain about it and gripe about it, get sad about it and let it vex me, I lose the half I do have by marginalizing it, criticizing it, neglecting it, and ignoring it. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions about contentment in, in the Western culture. And, and let me just tell you a few of the lies that are out there swimming around about contentment. Here, some believe that contentment comes from having plenty of money. If I could just get X amount of money, then I would be content, meaning I would be happy because the two are brother and sister. John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men of his day, who had a net worth of $100 million when a dollar was a dollar, be like having a billion today, was asked the question, how much wealth does it take to be happy? And John D. Rockefeller, who had $100 million, said, oh, another million dollars. What was he saying? I've got a hundred of them, and just a million more, and I'll be happy. But John... A hundred of them didn't make you happy yet. Why do you think one more will? It's the lie that we are told about stuff. That stuff, things, money will make me happy and content. Some people think that contentment comes from achievement. I used to believe that. I was very achievement oriented. Didn't finish high school, but went to junior college college, graduate school, was 10 years in grad school, degree after degree. I've got four degrees. And every time I thought, well, now I'll be content and I'll be able to settle. And I was always wanting that next one and that next one. And then I learned some things I'm going to share with you today about contentment. 
But guess what? One more degree, one more promotion will not make you content. Still other people think that contentment can be found in acquisitions, getting our wish list fulfilled. New house, when I have that, when I have that 4,000 square feet, when I have that Lexus, when I have that powerboat, when I've got that vacation home, then I will be happy and content, but you will not. The Bible says the eye of carnal man is never satisfied. If you're walking in the flesh and you think that this and that and the other external things, outer things, are going to make you happy, you're going to be grabbing for stuff until the day you die, and the day you die, you will not be a contented person. Contentment doesn't come from affluence. It doesn't come from achievement. It doesn't come from acquisitions. It never has, never will. See, Paul had a secret, a secret recipe. Now, I know some of you are thinking on the flip side, when my trials are over, when I'm through this valley, when I'm out of this oven, when, I am, when things are going better for me, then I'll be content. But here's what Paul's telling us. He said, you can learn to experience content, contentment in any situation at all, good or bad, lean or abundant. Contentment wakes up and says this, it is enough. I have peace. I am satisfied. I am fulfilled in my God. Whatever I don't have out here, he pulls in the slack. Whatever I don't have out here, he makes it up. Because David said, when I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. So the contented person, I'm not saying you shouldn't shoot for change. I'm not saying you should sit back fatalistically and never desire change in your life or to achieve in your life. I'm not saying do away with any of that. It's a balancing act. You, you still want change, and you still want to grow, and you still want one day that promotion or to make a little more money. There's nothing wrong with that. But in the meantime, you can wake up and say, it is enough. I have peace. I have joy with my God. He is my all in all. I am content. I'm content. Paul wrote from jail. He wrote these words from jail. He couldn't move without the rattle of a chain or a Roman guard knowing exactly what he was doing. And yet he wrote, hear this from the Message Bible, I've learned by now to be content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I have found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, I can be content. I want to submit to you that one of the reasons there is war, bloodshed, crime, melee, trouble all over our world is from discontented spirits. I want more. Got to have more. I want more money, more land. I want more power. And because of a lack of contentedness, our world right now is in an uproar and in constant tumult, but not so with the child of God. The child of God is able to wake up and say, it is enough. I have peace. I have joy. I'm saved. I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. 
The Holy Ghost is living inside of me, and He is a spirit of peace. So I am content. Though I want more, I'm content. Though I want to see things change, I'm content. Whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, Paul had suffered vicious beatings, shipwrecks, thrown in prison for just preaching the gospel. But he said, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. It's a secret recipe. It's a secret of contentment. I had to learn it. I had to learn it from trial and error, hard times, good times. I had to learn it or I would have lived my life out discontent. He said, this apostle stuff is a rocky road. I mean, I'm shipwrecked, I'm stoned, I'm, I'm rejected, I'm lied about, I'm slandered, I'm always traveling. I've been whipped five times across my back with the beatings that Jesus took once. My, my back is a road map of pain and whippings and torture, and yet I have learned to be content in all circumstances. Woo! People smoke things to get that way. <laughs> they drink things to get that way. They pop things to get that way. They shoot things to get that way. He learned that contentment is an inside job. It's not going to come from out here. Happening requires, or happiness requires a happening. Happiness comes from a Latin word meaning happening. If I'm going to be happy the way the world looks at it, something's got to happen to make me happy. And if that happening doesn't happen, I'm not happy. I really said that, didn't I? I pulled that off. All right. But see, the world says, well, when I get this, this, this the happenings are going to make me happy. But no, that's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. Happiness and joy and contentment are an inside job. Paul learned that contentment is primarily a matter of attitude. We could call it the magnitude of attitude. Everybody in here has got one, an attitude. A good one, a bad one, a positive one, a negative one. And you take your attitude with you everywhere you go. And when you get there, it gets there with you. And you either bless people or you curse them. You make them happy or you make them sad. Based upon the attitude you have adopted by choice. Paul said, nobody is going to take away my faith attitude. No one's going to take away my positive attitude. I'm not going to let any event, not any person, place, or thing rob me of the magnitude of my positive attitude. An attitude is not thrust upon you. It is chosen. Now, he gives three key attitudes that produce contentment. And let me give those to you today. And if you've got something to write with you, you might want to write these down because every one of us live here. Three key attitudes. Here's the secret recipe. Here it comes. First, contentment comes from trusting God when life is unfair. Now, I hate to break it to you, but everybody in here is going to be done dirty at some time in life. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be wronged. You're going to get the raw end of a deal. Somebody's going to not be fair with you. Because we live in a fallen world that is not fair. We live in a sin-infested, devil-infected world. Satan is everywhere. We are in a war zone. We are not in heaven. And because of that, we're going to suffer being done wrong. We're going to have unfairnesses happening to us. It's not a fair world. Do you know that none of us left the hospital when we were born with a promise saying you will never be done wrong? 
No, it's a guarantee you will be done wrong. It's a guarantee. Can I tell you the truth about life? Just because you got saved it does not insulate you from the slings and arrows of life. Life is a mixture of joy and sorrow, blessings and burdens, triumphs and tragedies. I don't care. You can name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, call it, haul it all day long. But you're going to have a mixture of joy and sorrow, blessings and burdens, triumphs and tragedies, because that's life. And if you let it, unfairness will rob you of your contentment. Unless you choose to place your trust in God, even when you cannot make sense of what's happening. Contentment comes from trusting the providential, sovereign God to take care of us when life treats us unfairly. Everybody in here has been done wrong at one time or another. And I've got to think of Joseph at this point, betrayed by his brothers, thrown down into a well. You know how long he was down in that well? Three days and nights. He sat locked in a claustrophobic well by his own brothers. Then he's pulled up. And he thinks, well, the joke's over. Man, that was a bad joke, but it's over. No, no, no. Here's some slave traders. See ya, bro. We sold you. And there he is being taken away, sold by his own flesh and blood. Done wrong, done dirty, unbelievable. This was vicious. This was, this was, this was incomprehensible. And as they're taking him away, the, this caravan of slave traders Here's Joseph taken away in chains. It tells us in the Psalms he was chained. And there's those stony-faced brothers standing there with not an emotion on their face, watching him go away. What did he do? Did he get embittered? Did he say life's been unfair? Did he write country songs? <laughs> Nothing against country music. I... But you know what I mean. Did he do that? Did, 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 did he, every time he got around Joseph, did you have to listen to the same old story? You, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. My brother's done me dirty. Born under a bad sign. Any of that? No. You find him in the jail ministering to other people. The butler, the baker. He had time to talk to them, pray with them, interpret their dreams, and care about them. That tells me his spirit was whole. His spirit wasn't sick with bitterness. How did he do it? He trusted in the God that gave him the dreams. He said, I don't understand this. It's opposite of what I've seen. This is not what I dreamed. And yet I know that my God lives. I know that he's bigger than this, these dirty dealings of men. And so I trust that somehow, some way, someday, my God is going to work it out. And he trusted God. I've learned to be content, Paul said, no matter what. I'm in jail for preaching the gospel, but I'm content. I may be killed, but I'm content. You know, it's okay to admit if you've been done wrong or if you've experienced an unfairness in life. Maybe not from a person, but a thing. Some of you may have received a diagnosis with the dreaded C word cancer and you're going unfair how can this be i have children i have a spouse or what we thought was going to be the business deal of a lifetime has turned out to be the worst deal you ever made and you've been wronged 
or your children have disappointed you, or friends have turned out to be enemies. Your spouse might have just up and walked away and left you with nothing. What are you going to do? The Bible says when people do you wrong, God sees it. When life is unfair with you, God sees it. It doesn't matter if you're going through a valley, if you're in a burning hot oven, if you're drowning in the sea of trouble. The Bible says that the ray, the sun ray of God's grace is shining through anything and everything you go through. And God says, just hang on, because you're going to see. I'm going to work this for your good. Just hang on. When life treats you unfairly, you can become bitter, angry, and depressed, or you can place your trust in the providence of the God who has got the whole world in his hands. We know all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. You know, I've lived long enough to see not everything works for the good of those who don't know God. They go from tragedy to tragedy, heartbreak to heartbreak tears to tears but those who know the Lord who love God and are called according to his purpose who are in Christ something else is operating in your life and it is the power and the will and the purpose of God he's operating in your life you're like that bozo clown I had one when I was a kid my dad blew that thing up said hit it Jeff pow he goes down, comes right back up. I said, well, he'll stay down next time. Pow! Right back up. You know what you are? You're bozo. You go down, but you come right back up. Because God lives in you. Don't go out and tell people I called you bozo, though. Since none of us can escape from an unfair world, we're all left with the choice of how we're going to respond to unfairness when it comes. Will you trust God or will you become embittered? Second, here's the second part of the recipe. Not only trusting God when life is unfair to work it out for your good, but contentment comes from being certain of God in an uncertain life. How much certainty do we have in our world right now? We've got Iran going for a nuclear bomb. The entire Middle East is a powder keg. People seem to be losing their minds and committing murder, murder sprees and all kinds of unbelievable crimes, demon-possessed people. Our own country is in 14 to 16 trillion dollars of debt and getting worse as I speak. All of life around us is uncertain. But there is one thing that is certain in an uncertain life. And his name is Jesus Christ, the rock of ages. Listen now. See, I can be content when life is uncertain because I'm being held by a certain God. So let the mountains shake. Let the valleys appear. Let the tumult reign. Yet I tell you, my God reigns. He is the rock. He is the rock. And that rock doesn't roll. He's the rock. Look at Paul's life now. Here he is in Acts. Even more threatening 
was the uncertainty. He was in jail for just preaching the gospel, but that wasn't his main problem. Even worse was the uncertainty from not knowing what the Romans are going to do with him. See, he wasn't sentenced like you get two years, five years, then you get out. He was thrown in jail, and the sword of certain martyrdom was hanging over his head every day that he woke up. He woke up every day not knowing, knowing if it would be his last. Think about the stress of that. Think about how that would work on you. Think about where your faith would have to be to live with that and be able to write a letter to the church and say, rejoice always and be content. I am. Wait a minute, Paul, you're chained to a Roman guard. You don't know about what today. They're going to come into your room and say, today's your day. Undo the chain. Take him. Here we go. It's time for the sword. You're about to lose your head, Paul, today. This is it. He never knew. He lived with that uncertainty. You can hear the uncertainty in the verse that reads, It's my eager expectation, he wrote, and my hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body. Now listen, whether, there's the word, W-H-E-T-H-E-R, whether by life or by death. He's saying, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to glorify God by living or by dying. And I wake up with that every day. His life hung in the balance. Yet he was able to say, I've learned a secret recipe. When I'm in a situation like this, I trust God and the unfairnesses of life. It's not fair that I'm in here for just helping people. And I've learned to trust a certain God in uncertain times. Not only that, but it is enough. These chains are enough. Jail food, it's enough. I have him. He's my all. I'm content. Wow. The captain of attitude. Uncertainty calls us to trust in the certainty of a certain God. We can let uncertainty paralyze us. Or we can trust the one who said, I promise you that no matter what happens, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never walk out on you. I will never neglect you. When everybody else walks out, I will walk in. You've got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I will never say goodbye. I will never say sayonara. I will never disown you. I will never walk out. But it gets even better than that. God will not only meet all of our needs, but he'll help us discover a higher purpose in the midst of tragic events. Now watch this. When I go through things now, if I get treated unfairly or somebody walks out of my life or whatever it may be, it may be a really tough time or a moderately tough time, but I've learned this. I've learned to look up and say, wow, Lord, this is going on down here and it's kind of nasty and it's kind of dirty, but that means you're up to something. What are you going to do that I end up better off than I am right now? Because I'm expecting, watch this, and I'm serious, this is the way I think, I'm expecting not just to break even, but I'm expecting double for my trouble. I'm expecting to more than break even. 
whatever you end up doing by your providence and your sovereignty in my life, Lord, I trust it's going to be better. I'm going to be higher up. I'm going to be promoted. I'm going to take a step up. I am not going to be on the same level, but I'm going up because my God only does wondrous things. That's it. So when trouble hits, you need to look around and look up and say, okay, Lord, what are you going to do that leaves me better off than before this came? Because can I tell you something about our God, the God we serve? Can I preach to you a little bit today about him? Let me tell you about him. He said he is never checkmated by the devil. He is never checkmated by the flesh. He is never taken off guard, and he is never, ever, ever surprised by anything. What has hit your life, he saw it coming. And he's already got a solution for it in the oven. He's going to bless you. He's going to take you up. He's going to bring you through. You are going to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, blessed in the storehouse, blessed in the field, blessed in your going out, and blessed in your coming in. Because the devil cannot outdo our God. So when I go through trouble, I, I look to discover a higher purpose released for me. I read recently of a Christian mother who had lost her child in a shark attack on a California beach. She grieved and wept for a year. But now, more than 15 years later, this Christian mother directs a nationwide program that helps parents of more than 10,000 children who died violent deaths. God took her tragedy and redeemed it. And that's what God does. Boy, I feel stirred with this today. I want you to know this is true. Finally, probably the best of all, contentment is grown in the seedbed of a thankful heart. We not only need to trust God when we're done wrong, when we have unfairness has happened. And we also need to trust God, the certainty of God in uncertain times. But we've got to learn to be thankful. Now you've all heard the verse, the whole Christian world's heard this verse, one of the most popular verses of all, but it's one of the least applied. Give thanks no matter what happens. God wants you to thank Him because you believe in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks no matter what happens. I don't know about you, but that's not easy for me. That doesn't make sense. Give thanks no matter what happens? Isn't that kind of crazy? How can I give thanks if somebody wrongs me? Here's why. Thanksgiving will keep your sanity intact and it'll keep your perspective where it ought to be a football coach was asked how do you keep your spirits up when your team is losing he shrugged his shoulders and replied I'm the kind of guy who if I fall into a mud puddle I feel in my pockets for fish <laughs> I read that and it just jumped out at me I said amen he's my kind of guy you fall into a mud puddle and you the guy who's a thanker, who trusts God, is always looking for that fish in the mud because the ray of grace is always working on your behalf. Be thankful. 
In everything give thanks. You say, well, there's so many negative things in my life. Well, find the one thing you can thank God for and home in on it and focus on it and thank Him for it. Well, Pastor Jeff, there's just nothing like that in my life. It's all gone bad. Are you saved? Are you saved? Well, you know, come on, that's, that's, that's cheating. No, it's not cheating. You once were lost, now you're found, blind, but now you see. Grace reached you, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like you. You were walking in darkness and God raised you from the spiritual dead. You're going to heaven instead of hell. You've got life instead of death. Can't you thank God for that? I'm saying save your sanity and focus on what you can thank God for. Matthew Henry, my favorite, one of my favorite commentators, I already quoted from him. He was once attacked by thieves and robbed of his money. He wrote these words in his diary. Let me be thankful first that I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my money, they did not take my life. Third, they took everything I had, but it wasn't much. <laughs> and fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. The fish in your pocket in the middle of muddy water. It's your choice. You can focus on the negative and live a depressed, sad life. Or you can focus on what God has given you and is continuing to give you and learn to wake up and say, it's enough. Because contentment comes from Jesus. That's who it comes from. I wonder if everybody in here has that Jesus. Wouldn't you like to have contentment when you don't have to do something out here to get it? Can we stand together? And I want us to bow for a moment of prayer. And in as little movement as possible, please, unless it's this way in just a moment, please don't distract the people around you because there are people right now who are in the balance who need a touch from God, who need the Lord Jesus. Some of you, you used to walk with God, but something happened along the way. You got burned out, you got tired, some sin tripped you up, or you don't really know what did it, but you're not where you used to be. I can guarantee you, if that's where you are, there is a large measure of discontent because contentment comes from rightness with God. That's where it comes from. Maybe you've never known the Lord Jesus in your life, been in church, you know Bible verses, but have you really been saved? Have you really been born again? Is He really in your life? Are you walking in the peace of God? Do you have that inward assurance? that God is your heavenly Father and your sins are forgiven. And if you were to experience a car wreck on the way home and it took your life, would you be positive? 
that you would go to heaven? You know, the Lord wants to bless you not with a burden, but with peace and with contentment. That's of Him. So with every head bowed, you say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in one of those two categories. I, I used to walk with Him, but I have drifted. And I know He's calling me to get back in the center of His will and in that contentment you've talked about. Or I don't know that I've ever known Him, and I want to seal the question. Settle it today. If you're in one of those two categories, would you slip your hand up right where you are today? And I want to pray with you. Put it high. Let me see you. God bless you. Put your hand up real high. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. This is no joke, no fun. This is serious because God wants to change your life. Today, you can leave a different person. I'm going to ask if your hand is raised, and if you haven't even raised it yet, I want you to do something. I want you to slip out from where you are. And I want you to come and stand in front of me. I want to meet you. I want to shake your hand, but I want to pray with you right here. This is crucial. Do it right now. Don't even hesitate. Tell your feet to begin to walk. If you raise your hand, you tell your feet to begin to walk right now. Just start walking because this is going to be a breakthrough on your life. This is going to be a change on your life. I want you to come right now. Don't stand there and wonder. You know if it's you. You come now. Come now. Break loose and come now. And let God do this in your heart. Come quickly. Come now. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to wait a moment longer. Somebody's being spoken to. We're not done yet. I want you to come now. You need to leave different. God's going to change you. He's going to bless you. Some things are going to go out of your life today and be put into your life today. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Let God do it. Let God do it. precious in the sight of God. We know that the world does not bring contentment. It fuels discontent. But God wants us content in Him. What a beautiful sight. And I want to pray with everyone that's down here now. And I hope that's everyone. If it's not, you ought to run down here quickly. Just run. Just run down. Come on, just run down. Because God wants to do this. I want you to pray with me now. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved and experience the joy of being joined to God. And Lord, I ask you, forgive me of all of my sins. Oh, God is moving right now. More are still coming. Listen, we need to get this done. We need to get this done. Thank you, Lord. See, I did this in juvenile home when I was 16 years old. Came forward in front of everybody. And he changed my life that day. And he's going to change your life. Now I want you to say with me, Lord Jesus. I come to you 
I ask you, forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Anything keeping me from you, I release. I release. I let it go. And Lord, I ask you to flood me with the peace of God. In the mighty name of Jesus. Now, Lord, we just pray for everyone in this altar. Lord, this is a faith prayer that will change the direction of all of our lives, the total direction of life. Lord, in Jesus' name, we just thank you for it. Seal it with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the yea and the amen over every one of these promises. We give you praise and honor and glory for it in Jesus' name.